Um, so 1 Kings 15, 25, all the way through 16, 28. mentioned this morning that uh, our, our theme is that sin is boring, tedious, one of those words. We'll be thinking about that some, but I just want you to reflect on that as we read and um, maybe take note how long it takes for me reading this before you find yourself bored. I, I thought of having everyone raise their hand at whatever point they felt bored. Uh, but um, we won't do that. But just mentally keep track how long before you feel like this is just just tedious. This is the word of our God from 1 Kings 25. Uh, I'm sorry, 1 Kings 15, beginning at verse 25. Now Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, became king over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel two years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the way of his father in, all his, in his sin by which he made Israel sin. Then Basha, the son of Ahijah of the house of Issachar, conspired against him, and Baasha killed him at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines, while Nadab and all Israel laid siege to Gibbethon. Basha killed him in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. And it was so when he became king that he killed all the house of Jeroboam. He did not leave to Jeroboam anyone that breathed until he had destroyed him, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servant Ahijah, the Shilonite. Because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he had sinned and by which he had made Israel sin, because of the provocation with which he had provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger. Now the rest of the acts of Nadab and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And there was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, all their days. In the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Baasha, the son of Ahijah, became king over all Israel in Tirzah and reigned 24 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin by which he made Israel sin. Then the word of the Lord came to Jehu, the son of Hanini, against Baasha, saying, Inasmuch as I lifted you out of the dust and made you ruler over my people Israel, and you have walked in the way of Jeroboam and have made my people Israel sin to provoke me to anger with their sins, Surely I will take away the posterity of Baasha and the posterity of his house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Baasha and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. Now the rest of the acts of Baasha, what he did and his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Baasha rested with his fathers and was buried at Tirzah. Then Elah, his son, reigned in his place. And also the word of the Lord came by the prophet Jehu, the son of Hanini, against Baasha and his house, because of all the evil that he did in the sight of the Lord 
in provoking him to anger with the work of his hands, in being like the house of Jeroboam, and because he killed them. In the 26th year of Asa, king of Judah, Elah, the son of Baasha, became king over Israel and reigned two years in Tirzah. Now his servant, Zimri, commander of half his chariots, conspired against him as he was in Tirzah, drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, steward of his house in Tirzah. And Zimri went in and struck him and killed him in the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. Then it came to pass, when he began to reign, as soon as he was seated on his throne, that he killed all the household of Baasha, and did not leave him one male, neither of his relatives nor of his friends. Thus Zimri destroyed all the household of Baasha, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke against Baasha by Jehu the prophet, for all the sins of Baasha and the sins of Elah his son, by which they had sinned and by which they had made Israel sin, in provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Elah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? In the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, Zimri had reigned in Tirzah seven days. And the people were encamped against Gibeathon, which belonged to the Philistines. Now the people who were encamped heard it said, Zimri has conspired and also has killed the king. So all Israel made Omri, commander of the army, king over Israel that day in the camp. Then Omri and all Israel with him went up from Gibeathon, and they besieged Tirzah. And it happened when Zimri saw that the city was taken, that he went into the citadel of the king's house and burned the king's house down upon himself with fire and died. Because of the sins which he had committed in doing evil in the sight of the Lord, in walking in the ways of Jeroboam, and in his sin which he committed, had committed to make Israel sin. Now the rest of the acts of Zimri and the treason he committed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? Then the people of Israel were divided into two parts. Half of the people followed Tibni, the son of Gineth, to make him king, and half followed Omri. But the people who followed Omri prevailed over the people who followed Tibni, the son of Gineth. So Tibni died, and Omri reigned. In the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah, Omri became king over Israel and reigned 12 years. Six years he reigned at Tirzah, and he bought the hill of Samaria from Shemer for two talents of silver. Then he built on the hill and called the name of the city which he built Samaria, after the name of Shemer, owner of the hill. Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all who were before him. For he walked in all the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sin by which he had made Israel sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Omri, which he did, and the might which he showed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Omri rested with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. Then Ahab, his son, reigned in his place. So far in the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we thank you for such an exact account of the history of your people. 
Lord, we pray that we would uh, not just groan through it or shrug it off, but that we would learn something from it. So may your spirit instruct us tonight for the glory of Christ, we ask in his name. Amen. It's pretty redundant, isn't it? Uh, The same thing is said about every single one of these guys. My favorite same thing said about every one of them is uh, a a little bit of uh, Davidic poking, I think. Because did you notice what was the same for every single one of these reigns? It is gauged in time based on when it happened in the single reign of godly King Asa. The point, of course, is not that godly people live long and ungodly people die quickly. Um, One of these men reigned for 24 years. That's quite the length of a reign in those days. Uh, And uh, Ahab is going to have quite the length of reign, and I believe uh, significantly outlive Asa. So uh, we, we we can't make a judgment like that, but I do think there's a point being made here about the tediousness of sin. That's not my thought. Dale Ralph Davis is very helpful in pointing that out. When I first read that, I thought, ooh, that, he's calling the scripture boring or tedious. And that, that feels, doesn't feel right until I stepped back and thought, no, it's pretty tedious. And it's not wrong to say that if God's doing this on purpose. If God is giving us a tedious passage to make a point. Where does idolatry and sin and evil and wickedness and living for self and living for pleasure get you? It gets you to a very boring existence. Uh, There is uh, no established dynasty uh, by Jeroboam. I'm sure he thought he was going to establish a dynasty, right? That's every king's goal, even though that wasn't always the case in those days. In that part of the world, it would be the the most powerful person often would take over the throne regardless of if there was a son or not. But every king really wanted his son to be the strongest and to take over. Here's Jeroboam. He dies and his son makes it two years. And did you notice what we find next? The guy who kills that son after two years, he really probably wants his son to have a dynasty as well. And that son only lasts two years. Neither of them makes it past two years. In fact, if we read carefully, one of those two-year periods, uh, it's only one year off in the reign of Asa, which means it's it's rounding up generously to say he reigned two years. Because Asa was, I, I believe it's from 26th year of Asa to the 27th year of Asa or something like that. You can go and look it up. Uh, but but it's not even two years. These dynasties aren't working. And they aren't working because these men are living in sin and ignoring God's word. Bashar and Zimri both in one sense act as the hangmen of providence, right? God had declared to Jeroboam that, if, uh, that uh, his house would be completely destroyed lest we miss that there's a parallel going on and that God hasn't changed his position just because it's a different household. Uh, God uses the same exact language when he uh, threatens Basha. He says the same thing he did to Jeroboam several chapters back. Everyone in your house, 
who's in the city will be eaten by dogs. Anyone in the field will be eaten by birds. He'd already said that to Jeroboam. Basha acts as the hangman for Jeroboam's family, but then ignores everything God had said about sin. And so he gets the same result as the people he executed. Zimri is the hangman for, uh, for that house of uh, Basha. And um, he doesn't even get a year. He doesn't even get a month. He gets seven days. And there's no sign of repentance in those seven days. And his act is, is in one sense, the most heinous. In fact, if anything that keeps this passage from being tedious, it's that each man is worse than the last one. Until we get to Omri, and at first it looks like maybe here's going to be a good king. He's the first one. He, he comes in. He's the commander of the army. A murder has happened against the king. It's the right thing for him to do to respond, because he's the commander of the army. He's put on the throne in a rightful manner. The people raised Omri to the throne. So maybe here we're going to see a godly king. And then what does the text say? He did more evil than anyone before him. And if you know where his dynasty goes, Ahab, his son, will reign in his place, the worst king of Israel, northern Israel. There is one who's equal to him or worse in Judah, but much later. But in northern Israel, Ahab is the worst. But, but all of this, we just read it and it's the same thing over and over. Because of the sin, because he committed the sins of Jeroboam, which he had sinned and by which he had made Israel to sin, because of his provocation by which he had provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger. Same thing over and over, the tediousness of sin. And simply say, without having to look at generations, just looking at your own life, isn't sin tedious? We keep going back to it because we buy a lie that it's the opposite of tedious, the opposite of boring. It's the way to feel free. It's the way to feel alive. It's the way to feel joy and experience pleasure. And every time it disappoints after a mere few minutes, it is boring. And and for many of us, the older we get, the more, even if we're stuck, feeling stuck and continuing in a a persistent sin and having a real struggle with it. Even if that's the case, we feel just the weight and weariness of it. It's exhausting to be a slave of some sin, even though you're doing the sin thinking it makes you free. There's a tediousness, there's a boringness to this. Well, I won't belabor belabor that point um, anymore, except to make the contrast. And here's where I think that aspect of Asa comes in. Asa, 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 Asa. Let me ask you, last week when we were reading about Asa's revival, did you get bored before we were done reading about the revival? Or or did we get done with those three verses and you thought, wait, we're moving on to sins now? <laughs> we want to hear more about the revival. We want to know the details. What did it look like when he did these things? There is a contrast scripture is making. A life of righteousness is the the furthest thing from boring. Grace, holiness, righteousness, these aren't tedious things. Your life will not feel burdensome if these are the things you're pursuing. 
Remember what Jeremiah writes about every day when you're living not in evil, but in grace. He writes, God's mercies are new every morning. Every morning is a fresh event with enough to get you through the day, not just get you through the day, to leave you refreshed and rested and feeling pardoned. Uh, not, not only pardon, but when we're living according to God's law, we not only know the pardoning grace of, of Christ, but then as those who have received pardon and seeking to live for him, we find the mission never gets boring, does it? I mean, there's always something to do on behalf of Christ. There's some person to help. There's some ministry to be involved in. Our problem is often we don't have time for all the ways we could serve Christ. It's a very different feel from the tediousness of sin. And where sin is tedious because we pursue it and it fails us every moment. Following Christ and living for our Lord's glory is tied to a lasting reward. Not one that we earn by pursuing Christ, but by faith we know we have a lasting reward, satisfaction, and pleasure eternally in the new heavens and new earth. A life of sanctification is never boring, is it? I mean, it might be boring if we woke up one morning and said, wow, I'm holy now. All of my tedious sins are gone. What am I going to do with the rest of my life? But we, we know that's not our life, is it? Sanctification, the growth in holiness, is a daily experience of change. As the Holy Spirit reveals to us more and more, oh, I'm more sinful than I thought. This thing goes deeper than I thought. There is more to fight than I thought. And always, always growing by the Spirit's work. So here we have, in this large section we've read, the tediousness of sin. And there's Asa growing. Well, he has his sins too, but his life sure isn't boring. And his afterlife is magnificent. Also just want to reflect briefly from these these lives that we've read on responsibility and sovereignty. Responsibility and sovereignty. Because... In two instances, God sends a prophet and says, this is what will happen to your family. And in two instances, men come in and make it happen, right? God said, your house is gone. And in comes, in comes this guy, Basha, and he makes it happen. And yet, we might say, well, then how can he be judged for just doing what God told him to do. And yet we read of him in verse 7, chapter 16, verse 7, that part of God's judgment was not only being like the house of Jeroboam, but also because he had killed them. See, that prophetic word hadn't said, I'm going to do this to your house, Jeroboam, and I am commissioning this man, Basha, to do it. 
So whether or not Bashan knew the word of God or not, he was taking upon himself to be a man of violence and brutality. And having taken over, of course, doesn't change his ways. Same thing with Zimri. We read of Basha that he conspired against the king. It's not that his hand was forced, the king was coming against him in some horrible way, and he defended himself and the king died. It's that he conspired against the king, even though God had never commanded him to. Zimri actually, not only, we're told, uh, comes against the king when the king is unsuspecting, uh, but when the king's drunk. He waited till the guy was drunk out of his mind, couldn't defend himself, and then he went in and cold-bloodedly murdered him. How, how could he claim that God had sent him on such an errand or that he is innocent in any way in this? We need to remember David. David also was a man who knew that God had declared quite publicly that his predecessor would not be the king on God's throne. And David knew something that neither of these two men knew, that God had anointed him to be the king in Saul's place. And yet, when Saul was coming against him and he could have defended himself, he not only wouldn't see Saul killed by his own hand, He wouldn't let anyone else kill Saul, and he wouldn't hear evil words spoken against Saul. He took it to a whole different level. He wouldn't even let people speak ill of Saul. When someone thought, I can go and get in good with the new king, I'll tell him I murdered Saul. What happens to that man? He's executed by the rightful judge, the king, for committing murder of the king. So we see this context. There's, in David's eyes, responsibility to live a godly and righteous life and honor the king and leave it to God's sovereignty to deal with the offender. And these, these men had a different idea, and we see that God will not let them get away with it. God will be our judge, not just everyone else's judge. I think sometimes we forget that. Oh, Jeroboam's house, they're wicked. Your house is wicked too. Oh, uh, Zimri's house is really wicked. Your house is wicked too. In fact, here we have Omri, who has not received any prophetic word, and who got to the throne in a rightful manner, and we read that he was worse than all the rest. And the text doesn't tell you how he was worse. Isn't that kind of annoying? That might not be tedious. That might be exciting to find out what new thing Omri designed to be wicked. I think maybe the thing that makes Omri more wicked than all the rest. I'm sure there were details that I'll never know. But one of the things is he observed what happened to everyone else. He was a witness to what God did to those who didn't repent. And he didn't repent. And what does that say then for us? If kings acts as a type of cloud of witnesses and not in a good sense, a a cloud of condemned witnesses against us, if we do not repent and turn to God, 
then surely our judgment will be even worse than Omri. We have far more knowledge. We have the knowledge of the New Testament and Christ. We have 2,000 plus years in addition to the however long it was, 1,000 years between Omri and Christ. And so, of course, our judgment will be stronger if we do not repent. want us to think about the tediousness of our own sin and our need to repent. I'm going to read then some verses from Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3, 7 through 15, we read the following, quoting from the Old Testament. Therefore the Holy Spirit says, Today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the trial in the wilderness, When your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years, therefore I was angry with that generation. Now, we we could say this isn't the same generation that we just read about in First Kings, but surely the point remains the same, doesn't it? These are still the outward people of God. They're the 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 public community of of people whom God has claimed as His own the Old Testament church, and so surely his thoughts are no easier on them than on those in the wilderness. God says of the ones in the wilderness, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest any of you be in any of you an evil heart, of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. God says their hearts always go astray. And then remember what was said about that guy that keeps getting mentioned in these chapters, Asa? We read last week of Asa, even though he sinned, nevertheless, his heart was loyal to the Lord all his days. So the the challenge First King is putting in front of us tonight is which of these two hearts do we have? Are we always going astray in our hearts? Or despite our failures and our constant need of repentance, are our hearts loyal to the Lord all our days? Which describes you? Sin is tedious. It's boring. It's weighty. And then Christ comes and says, Come to me, all you who are weary, weary of your sin." burdened by its tediousness and I will give you rest. May we look to him and find our joy in him and not in sin all our days. Let's